right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle Church. Great to be with you guys today and all of our campuses joining us right now in Thomasville, Daphne, and Midtown Mobile, and all of those joining us online. It's great to be with you guys. We're going to continue today our series on Elijah and the life of Elijah. And today, I think, is one of the most important segments of his life. It's one of the most important teachings we will do today because we're going to learn so much about how much God loves us. And I think it's important that you hear this message today. You know, so far we've seen a lot of Elijah doing a lot of great things, but today we're going to see Elijah hit the wall. We're going to see that Elijah really is a human today. And we're going to see him struggle mentally and spiritually and emotionally. We're going to see him get depressed. And how does God deal with us when we hit the wall like that? And as we dive into this, guys, listen, I want to remind you that all human beings are created with a body and a spirit. You have a body. And then you also have a soul, a heart, a mind. You have an internal, invisible part of you that's just as important as your exterior. And the thing is, we work really hard to take care of our physical bodies, don't we? I mean, if you break your arm, you're going to go to the hospital and get it fixed, right? The problem is when we struggle internally, when we struggle struggle mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, often we will struggle in the dark and we will not get the help we need. And, And we just try to push through it. And I'm hoping today that what we're going to learn in the life of Elijah will change that for many of you. And that today we will get the help we need and that we will run to God, not away from him. And that we will see today how much he really does care about the internal part of who we are by looking at Elijah's life. Now, it should not surprise us that Elijah is going to have a time in his life when he struggles because the New Testament in James 5.17 tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So that's New Testament talking about this great prophet of the Old Testament. And it's almost like James wanted you to know that Elijah was not a superhero. He's not an Avenger. We're not talking about Captain America here, y'all. He's got no special thing happening that you don't have. James says he was a man just like you. And we're going to see today that he struggles just like we do. And that God is going to deal with him the way he'll deal with us when we struggle internally. When our kids struggle internally. When our parents struggle internally. When our friends deal with stuff. We can see how God cares for us. So what we're going to see is that the biblical account of Elijah's life reveals both heroics and humanity. Both of them. The guys will put that on the screen. It deals with both of those things in our lives. It deals with heroics and it deals with humanity. Now we've seen his heroics, right? We've seen him raise a kid from the dead. That's the first resurrection in the Bible. Elijah's the one that performed it. We saw him trust God in the wilderness to feed him every day. God dropping Chick-fil-A sandwiches out of midair, man. I mean, of course, if God's going to feed you, it's going to be the gospel bird, Chick-fil-A, okay? So we've seen Elijah do all these great things. We saw Elijah uh, face down the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. The three and a half years that we've all known Elijah so far from the biblical account has been nothing short of amazing. One win after another. One big battle that he wins after another big battle that he wins over and over again. And remember, last week, the last episode we looked at from Elijah was another great win and another great miracle. So let's recap. So last week we saw that Elijah was on Mount Carmel. Two weeks ago he's on Mount Carmel and he calls down fire out of heaven and he defeats Baal and the prophets of Baal and he has all of them executed. Well, do you remember what the people of Israel did? Why was there a famine in the land? Why was everyone starving to death and there was no rain? Because the people of Israel had allowed Ahab and Jezebel to cause them to worship Baal. And God judged them for it. But he wasn't getting back at them. He was trying to get them back 
to himself. And so on Mount Carmel, the Bible says the people of Israel repented. And they said, you are the one true God. They came back to God. And because the people repented, God now is going to lift his hand of judgment. And he tells Elijah, you go to Ahab, the king, take him up on the mountain and let him see that the clouds of rain are coming. And that rain's going to change everything, right? So he does. He gets Ahab. They go up on the mountain. They see the rain is coming. And Ahab is so excited, he says, I'm going back to the capital city to tell everyone the famine is over. So he gets in his chariot. Now remember, in those days, transportation was horses, and that meant wealth. And so he's probably got the finest horses. And most of the horses have died at this point anyway. And so he's got a few left that can run, and they get in the chariot and take off. And another miracle takes place. Do you all remember this? Elijah, miraculously, by the power of God, runs ahead of the chariot for 22 miles on foot. Y'all, I get tired running around the corner. He runs for 22 miles faster than the horses. That's a miracle. He could not do that on his own. Now, why did God allow that? Just so you know, God doesn't do miracles in the Bible just for fun, just for kicks. So it wasn't like God said, hey, this would be cool. So you start running, and I'm going to empower you, and it's going to be really cool. Just let's see how fast we can make you go. That's not how this happened. Why does God allow Elijah to run ahead of Ahab all the way back to the capital city for 22 miles? Why? Because Ahab has not repented yet. The people have, not him. And he needs to see that even though he's the king, he needs to be following the man of God. He needs to be following that prophet. Even though he's king and wears a crown, he needs to hear the voice of God. So for 22 miles, the finest chariot in the land had to follow a man on foot running. Pretty amazing, right? So all of this has happened, and as they're headed back, you got to think that Elijah believes that when they get back to the capital city, after everything Ahab has seen, after everything that has happened, after the prophets of Baal have been executed, that Ahab is going to repent, he's going to walk into the palace and where his wicked wife Jezebel is, and he's going to put her in her place. He's going to finally be a leader, and that she'll be defeated. Elijah thinks all of this is over now. There'll be revival. The country will be what it can be now. We'll follow God. That is his expectation as he runs into the city and the chariot comes in after him. But what we're going to find out today is that is not what happens. Let's go to 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4. It says this, So Ahab did indeed come to the capital city. He gets to Jezebel, his wicked wife, and he says to her and tells her all that Elijah had done. And what is that? Mount Carmel and the execution of the prophets of Baal. How he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, everybody just pause. So you can imagine when the messenger from Jezebel comes to Elijah. And he says, I'm a messenger from Jezebel. you got to think Elijah's like, here we go. Finally, the wicked witch of the west is finally going to have her come up. It's right here. This is the message I've been waiting for where she says, I admit I've been defeated. I admit that my God is a false God. The prophets are all gone. I admit it. We're going to listen to you now. That's fully what Elijah believes is going to happen. That is not the message he's going to get. What does she send to him? She says this, So may the gods, since you killed the prophets of Baal, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, she says, since you killed the prophets of Baal, I'm going to take whatever power I have left and I'm going to kill you and I'm coming for you. Now, you would think that Elijah wouldn't be afraid of anything. He just outran a horse for 22 miles. 
He just called fire down out of heaven on Mount Carmel, defeated all the prophets of Baal. The man has raised the dead. Why would he be afraid? But yet the Bible says he was. And here's where we can relate. Verse 3, the Bible says, Then he was afraid. How many of you have ever had that moment in your life where even though God had been great, you were afraid? Even though God had proven to you over and over again he could do all things, you were afraid and you didn't trust him and you didn't believe. Can anybody relate to Elijah right now? We've all been there, haven't we? So, he's afraid. He's really afraid, and he arose and he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Don't miss this little detail. And he left his servant there. You didn't realize it, but Elijah had a servant all this time that was with him all the time. The picture I want you to get in your mind is like a caddy with a pro golfer. The pro golfer's getting it done, but that caddy's there to encourage him, to show him, hey, take this club. Hey, think about this. This guy had served Elijah, but now Elijah won't even let him hang out with him anymore. He goes into isolation. It says he goes another day's journey into the wilderness. He came, he sat down under a broom tree, which is a little scrubby like a mesquite bush type thing, and he asked that he might die. He's gone so far like he's, he's, he wants to die. That's how deep the depression is for him, just like that. He wants to die, and he says to God, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life away for I am no better than my father's. Now this is stunning, isn't it? How do we go from Mount Carmel to this dude wants to die just like that? And I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing just how vulnerable even the greatest among us can be in our spirits, in our hearts, in our souls. And that emotional health and spiritual health and mental health and mind health and brain health, those things are important and it's where we are most vulnerable. And what has happened here to him? Well, here's the deal. There's a gap between expectation and reality. And when that happens, when there's a gap between your expectation and what actually happens, that is a breeding ground for discouragement and depression. And that is what has happened to Elijah. He thought that it was going to go a different way. He believed that it was all going to be good now, and suddenly it's not. And we can all relate to Elijah, can't we? Some of you in this room, you got married and you thought it was going to be great and then it didn't become great and, and, and it blew up and the person you loved and gave your life to totally betrayed you and it didn't go. And man, that is a breeding ground. There's a gap between what you thought would happen and what actually happened. When you think that your kid's going to get something that they don't, when you think that the doctor's going to give you a prognosis and it's different than you thought it was going to be, when you thought you had decades left with a loved one and they die and you think, that's not how I thought it was going to go. There becomes a gap between what you thought would happen or maybe even what should have happened and what actually happened. And in that gap, there becomes a breeding ground for you to get down and discouraged. That's what happened to Elijah. Not only that, but Elijah isolates himself. And let me just give you this. Isolation is very dangerous when you are in despair. You need people. We need each other. You were created for relationships with people. Elijah tells the one guy that knows him best, his servant, that he can't even go with him. He isolates himself. And that's only going to take him deeper into depression. Now think about it. If his servant would have been with him, when he began to talk about dying and being afraid, the servant would have said to him, Elijah, what are you scared of? Like there would have been a voice of reason. That's what community does. You don't isolate yourself. His servant would have said, dude, you, are you kidding me? You're not scared of this old mean, wicked witch, are you? Like, don't be afraid of her. Don't be afraid of Jezebel. You just called fire down out of heaven, man. God fed you for two years in the woods with a bunch of birds. You think he can't take care of you now? Like, that's what 
That's what he would have said, but he couldn't because he was alone. Let me tell you, how many times I've seen in the church people go through hard times and they isolate themselves. They go through tough stuff, their marriage gets wild, things get wild in the family, things get, and they isolate themselves. They stop talking to their friends, they stop texting back and forth, they don't show up to group, they begin to show up to church less and less, and I think, wow, what a trap to walk into. You need community when you're in despair more than ever, church. You need voices of reason around. That's why God gives us community. Don't isolate yourself. He isolates himself, and it was a dangerous thing to do. And then we see his humanity just come out more and more here. All we've ever seen is him win, but now, now this is a very human story. He goes out into the wilderness, and the Bible says in verse 5, he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. Like he finds one of these scrubby little trees and he is so done, the great prophet, that he literally just lays on the ground and just passes out. Any of you ever been there? Have you ever been so tired that you just couldn't take another step? That you were so done? Now let's just stop for a minute and think about Elijah's life. So we look at all the big victories, but how much do you think the past three and a half years has taken out of this guy? Don't you think it was a bit of an emotional pressure cooker to stand on Mount Carmel? Not, what do you think the prophets of Baal would have done to Elijah if fire had not come down from heaven? That would have been a brutal execution, don't you think? How, how do you think it feels to be the only guy standing for truth for a nation for three years? How do you think it felt every morning to wake up and not know if the birds were going to show up with your food that day? That's what the past three and a half years has been for this guy. There's been big wins, but how many of you know big victories can take it out of you too? So he is spent. He has nothing left. And he lays on the ground and he's like, I'm done. I got nothing left to give. So he lays down. And behold, an angel touched him. Now, this is how God deals with us when we got nothing left to give. Does he say, get up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, bud? No. It says, an angel of the Lord touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And Elijah looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank, and then he lay down again, passed out again. Now, stop and, and look at this. This is what despair depression and being that exhausted burnout when you hit that spot you can no longer even see what God's doing for you you miss the miracle like I don't know about you guys but if I was tired and I woke up and there's an angel standing there cooking me up a little something in the crock pot I think I'd be like that's pretty cool I would at least acknowledge that and I'd go man I'm tired but wow this is awesome Elijah eats the cake and just passes back out like nothing can move him. So you think, well, at this point, I bet God, God's about to call him out now. At this point, God's going to say, hey, bud, it's time for you to get it together. That's not what he does. A second time, the Lord sends the angel. The angel touches him. Can you just see the love here just waking him up? It says, arise and eat and watch this. For your journey is too great for you. Journey, he's done. He wants to die. Just everybody pause for a second. Let me just tell you, some of you in this room are to a point where you don't want to go any further. And your great God, like he did for Elijah, is saying to you, I will sustain you. I will give you strength. Your story is not over. It's not over. Some of you needed to hear that today. Don't you listen to the enemy. Don't you even listen to your own flesh tell you that your story's over. If there's still breath in your lungs, and I'm assuming since you're sitting in that chair, it is. 
If that heart's still beating, and I'm hoping it is, let us know if it's not. Got people that can help you. Then that means your story's not over and that God is still working in your life. So the angel says to Elijah, you got to eat because your story's not over. We're not done. There's more battles to fight. There's more work to be done. So this time he arose, he ate, he drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Hoeb, the, the mount of God, which is actually Mount Sinai. He goes to the mountain of God. Now, first of all, what in the world did he eat that lasts 40 days? Y'all, I have breakfast and I need a snack at about 1030. Like, this is good stuff. Some kind of quinoa kale thing, I guess, right? Some kind of keto yogurt bowl thing. Whatever it is, it was good. 40 days, y'all. 40 days. His journey is not over. And it's interesting where God takes him. God takes him to Sinai, the mountain of God. Why does he take him there? Well, the last great prophet of God also got tired. He got so tired, his father-in-law told him, Moses, you got to chill, man. You're doing too much. And it was on the mountain of God where God met Moses in a very powerful way. So powerful. When Moses came down off the mountain, his face was glowing, if you remember the story. So here on this mountain, Elijah, the next great prophet, is going to meet his God in a very visceral way. That's why they went there. And what we see here is this. We must acknowledge our weakness in order to experience God's strength. Elijah is experiencing God's strength because he, he couldn't go anymore. He finally lays down under the tree and goes, I can't run anymore. I, I don't have it in me. I don't have any more answers. God, I've given you everything I got, and I don't know what to do next. This lady's trying to kill me, and she's got an army, and I don't know what to do, and I'm tired. I don't, I don't think I've got it in me to trust one more time, to have great faith one more time. i got nothing left, and he lays down, and it's there that God goes, I'm glad, I'm glad you're finally here. I've been there, man. Let me tell you something. My wife and I had this incredible thing that we were part of in Atlanta. We were young and in our ministry, and God called us to move to Florida to plant a church. And when we got there, I can't tell you the gap, how big the gap was between what we thought was going to be and what actually was. Man, it was tough. And everything I'd done up to that point and we'd done to that point was just like good and everything was good. And then we got there and we just hit this wall for six months. I, was so, I didn't realize what the years before, even back into college, doing ministry every weekend, stuff I was involved in, I didn't realize how weak and tired I was internally. It, it kind of snuck on, up on me. Has any, have any of you ever experienced that where it just kind of, whoop, there you were. You were burnt out and you didn't realize it. And for six months, man, I couldn't see what God was doing around me. I couldn't see that he was providing. I couldn't see it. I didn't have the joy of the Lord that I needed. In that same way, I had to acknowledge my weakness. One of the hardest things in the world for me, especially guys, and, and ladies, you're so much better at it, and that means you're awesome. Guys, can I, can I just love on you for a minute, dudes? It's so hard for us to admit that we're weak. It's so hard for us to admit we don't have all the answers. But you need to sometimes. Because it's then that God can make you a cake on hot coals that will last for 40 days. You know what I'm saying? It's there that God provides. So we must acknowledge our weakness to experience his strength. Now I want you to see something else here, and this is a warning for all of us. Elijah had had enemies before, and none of them had ever gotten to him. Mount Carmel was not too big for him to handle it. The prophets of Baal, the possibility of execution not once but twice, uh, Ahab and Jezebel did not shake him. 
being out in the wilderness without any kind of food unless God gives it, didn't shake him. A dead kid that a woman is asking him to raise from the dead did not shake him. You know what finally got to Elijah? The very thing that will get to all of us if we're not careful. Elijah's biggest foe was his own physical, emotional, and spiritual fatigue. That's what got him. Jezebel can't get Elijah. It's his fatigue. It's his weariness that's got him. And we can, I've been there. You've been there. We probably will be there again. And we learn here that when we get there, if we will acknowledge that we can't go anymore, God steps in. It's why the Apostle Paul, who I imagine faced the same stuff many times in his life, I bet many times when he was beaten up and shipwrecked and put in a, another Roman jail cell that he felt these things. Here's something he learned. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is in Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you for my power, watch this, is made perfect in weakness. Church, let this give you permission to be weak. You know, in the church world, we're real bad about telling people just have more faith. If you had a lot of faith, you can make it through. Man, that's not good advice. Listen, faith is good, but God is strong in our weakness. But I want you to see this. Don't miss what Paul's saying here. God does not become stronger when we're weak. He is all-powerful, okay? It's not that he becomes more powerful when you're weak. He is given an opportunity to display his power when you are weak. Your weakness becomes a canvas upon which the oil paint of his power can be painted for the world to see and for you to see when you are weak. So don't run from your weakness. Embrace it. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, let's just pause again. Now, first of all, I want you to know that we live in a world where people overshare. Let's just talk about oversharing for a minute. That's not what Paul's doing here. Now, we live in a world where people go on Facebook and they share way too much. I'm just trying to help you guys. I love you. Don't overshare, man. Like, look, we don't need to know that you went to Taco Bell, had a little tummy issue the other night. Like, people put that on Facebook. Come on now. Like, we don't need to know your foot problems. You got a little foot problem, take a picture for the world to see, put it on Facebook. Like, overshare, overshare. There's doctors for that. You can go to the doctor with that now. By the way, even when you go to the beach, you ain't got to take a picture of your feet. Just take a picture of the beach. You know what I'm saying? I love y'all, man. I love you. Don't, I'm going to get some emails on this. Overshare, overshare, overshare. We live in a world where we share everything. We feel it. we got to tell everybody. Share it. That's not what Paul's doing here. I want you to see his purpose. He says, the reason I'm going to talk about my weaknesses is not to bring attention to myself. The reason I'm going to do it is because it is the gateway for me experiencing the power of God, to have the power of God on my life, for me to be willing to say, yes, I am weak, yes, I don't have all the answers, is an opportunity for God to display his power in my life. And aren't you glad that we have a God who will display his power in our weaknesses, church? That's what he does. So, Paul says, it is in his weakness that God shows his strength. So in verse 10, he says, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So let's look at what happens next with Elijah, 1 Kings 19, 9 through 10. 
So he comes to the mountain of God, but he is not out of the woods, y'all. He is deeply depressed. Have you ever heard the old adage, I wish I could just find a cave and crawl into it? You ever heard that? That's what he does, literally. It says he came to a cave and he crawled into it. He lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of it. And listen, he's being honest with God here. What does it mean I've been jealous for God? It means I love you. Notice his theology is not being shaken. He's not questioning God, and he is still theologically intact. Good word for us. You can have your theology together and still be weak and still get discouraged and still even be depressed, maybe even clinically depressed. I want you to see this. He says to him, I'm very jealous for you, God. You're the God of hosts. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, I want you to hear what Elijah just said, because he's actually wrong. Elijah is wrong. He says, I'm the only one left fighting for you. That was true not long ago, but it's not true anymore. Since Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal are all gone, executed. Jezebel is losing her power by the day, and the people of God have repented, and the rest of the nation is beginning to turn back to God. Elijah is not alone anymore. Elijah has lots of support. The people are behind Elijah now, and yet he still feels like he's all alone. Now, let me tell you what's happening here. I want you to understand it. Discouragement and depression can cause us to lose perspective and clarity, y'all. It really can. When you are in despair... And when you are down and depressed, folks, that's when you can't see clearly anymore. Let me tell you how this works. I want you to take a look at this. I like visuals. So I want you to look at this visual. There's us. And then there's our problems. Now, how many of you would agree in this room that God's power and provision is always greater than our problems? Would you all agree with that? Isn't that good? Like, that'll preach, right? Don't look at the size of your problem. Look at the size of your God. Amen? Nah. When I grew up, I'd just preach on that for 15 minutes, get everybody real excited. But let's be real here. The problem is when we get down and discouraged, emotionally tired or depressed, we're dealing with stuff, here's what happens. Even though God's power and provision is greater than my problems, I can't see it anymore. My viewpoint is that I'm totally blocked from seeing God's power and provision, and all I see is my problem now. All I see is the marriage issue. All I see is the family issue. All I see is the issue. I can't see that anymore. It's been blocked from my view. And this is the danger point, and that's where Elijah is. Elijah can't see that the whole country is turning back to God. All he can see is Jezebel. And what the enemy loves to do is put a magnifying glass on your problems so that you can't see God's power anymore, his provision. Don't let the enemy do that to you. So what happens next? God speaks to him. God is inviting Elijah into his presence like he does for all of us. 1 Kings 19.11. He says to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake... But the Lord was not in that earthquake. And after the earthquake, there's a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. There's there's where God was. In the whisper. Verse 13. And when Elijah heard the whisper, he wrapped his face in a cloak. Now, why did he wrap his face up? Because he knew that he was encountering the living God. That he should cover himself. 
He wraps his face in a cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now God has his attention. Now, the wind, the earthquake, the fire, that is all displaying God's power. All across the Old Testament, earthquake, fire, wind, that's God's power. Over and over again we see that. But how many of you know that Elijah had already experienced God's power, right? He knew all about God being in the fire. He, he knew all about God telling birds what to do, bringing him food every day. He watched a dead body <gasps> take a breath and a heart start beating again. He had seen that kind of power. He knew God's power. That's not what he needed to learn that day, and that's why God didn't come to him in the earthquake and in the fire and in the wind. He just reminded him. He said, here's who you've known of me. This is what you've known of me so far. But Elijah, on this day, on this mountain, I know what you need. You need me to whisper to you. And see, that still small voice was God displaying to Elijah his intimacy. That the same God who could shake the earth and consume the altar with fire and blow rocks off the side of that mountain, that same God could embrace Elijah in his weakness. That that same God actually cared about him and what he was going through. In church, he cares about you He cares about what you are going through. He cares about what you are facing and what I am facing. But it took Elijah getting into his presence. Now, a couple things I want to hit real quick. Number one, Elijah did not have tools at his disposal that we have today. So Elijah had to, God had to meet him on a mountain to pull him through his depression and what he was going through. But listen, we have tools that Elijah didn't have. We have counselors, we have doctors. With medicine, in Genesis, the Bible says God told us to have dominion over the earth, and we have. And by God's common grace, we have doctors who can now help us with our minds even. And I just want to tell you today, don't let the church world tell you that you're having less faith if you have to go to a doctor to get help. Is that what you do when you break your leg? Let me tell you something. I have allergies, right? Now, if I didn't take something, I'd sneeze my head off the whole time I'm preaching. That wouldn't be fun. Now, what I could do every day is I could wake up and go, oh, dear Lord, I got faith in you. I have allergies, and I don't want to sneeze and my nose run and my throat itch all day long, so, Lord, I'm believing you. And you know what I believe he would say to me in a still, small voice? Zyrtec. (laughs) Zyrtec. Chris, I want you to go to Walmart, to the pharmacy, where I have provided for you a little green bottle. Zyrtec, little bitty pill. Take it. Changes everything. That's God's grace, right? Now listen to me. If you're here today and you need help, you need to get help. And that's not a sh- that shouldn't be a shame. The shame should be on anyone who's ever shamed you. God in his common grace has given us these things. But it should never be, and nothing ever should be, a substitute for you seeking the presence of God. It's a both and. God's given us counselors here at the Hope Center. We want you to go there. If you need medicine, you need to go see a doctor. Let them help you, but also continue to seek the Lord in his common grace and in his specific grace, which is his presence. Elijah needed God's presence. So let me tell you why God's presence is so important, why you need to press in to his presence. And we have his presence through his word and through worship and prayer. Elijah had his manifest presence on the side of the mountain. And what did it do? It changed his perspective. Write it down. God's presence always restores our perspective. When I was going through a tough time that I mentioned to you early in our ministry, 
My wife can tell you that every morning I started getting up really early and walking for a couple of hours and praying. And it was there on the little streets around our apartment complex that God met me, his presence. And I began to see clearly. Every morning I'd see a little more clearly. Every morning I could see God's hand more completely in our lives. I could see the plan that he had. I couldn't see it before. I needed to get in his presence. Elijah, this moment on the mountain, is going to get him back where he needs to be. Because God's presence restores that perspective. Let me tell you what I mean. Let me give you the, the picture again. Now watch this. This is important. When we stay in God's presence the way Elijah did, our problems do not go away, church. We are not a church that will tell you, oh, your depression will just go away. No, no, it's, you're still going to deal with that stuff. Uh, if you got cancer, the cancers you still got to deal with it. If you got marriage issues, they're there. We don't act like the problems went away. What happens when we get in the presence of God is our problems no longer block us seeing God's power. We know we still have junk to deal with and we still have problems, but now we can see that our God is actually greater than anything we face. And that perspective gets us up off the ground and helps us take our next step. Our next step to get our marriage where it needs to be. Our next step to keep parenting our difficult child. That next step to go, I am going to go see the doctor, see the counselor, and get myself spiritually emotionally well and healthy that helps us take those next steps when we see that his power and provision is greater than whatever it is we're facing church it requires his presence for that kind of transformation and my hope is today Elijah has helped you with that the book of Philippians tells us we put it there that when we trust God and when we go to his presence in prayer which is available to us that he will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that. He doesn't say, problems go away. He says, I'll guard your heart and your mind if you'll come to me. Now, one of our staff members raised his hand a few weeks ago when he knew we were talking about this, and he said, I think I need to tell my story about what God's done in my life. I think it'll be helpful to you to hear. So, check this out. My name is Ben, and I'm the worship pastor at the Daphne campus. You know, I was always the guy that had a super optimistic approach on life. I uh, would imagine that if you'd ask people that I grew up with or people that I did life with when I was younger, they would say Ben's the kind of guy that, you know, is always happy, always encouraging, always hopeful in a situation, and never would have thought that I would have necessarily been susceptible to any type of uh, mental health issues. Now, that's just not me. That's not something that I would be dealing with or I would be struggling with. I remember in my early 20s, um, because of some of the stuff that was going on in my life, uh, some decisions that I had made and some of the consequences that I was living with uh, due to some of those choices, I found myself having a very interesting mental shift from being the optimistic, encouraged guy to little pieces of discouragement in my life. That discouragement took a little bit of a foothold and started to set up a stronghold in my life. I saw it becoming negative patterns of thinking, uh, becoming more pessimistic towards things in my life to where it eventually led me to a place where I dealt with depression. And so for a number of years, I carried this weight and this burden around and didn't share it with anybody. And that only made things worse. After those many years of kind of walking through these negative patterns of thinking, I feel like it changed a lot of who I was. And it, it wasn't until I had had somebody encourage me 
to become vulnerable and to just trust that God wants to do amazing things with the story that's unfolding in your life that I decided I needed help. And it reminded me of a story that we see in scripture in John chapter five. And Jesus uh, is, is uh, walking through a town and he comes upon this man who's laying by a pool uh, waiting for an opportunity to be healed. And Jesus asks him a very simple question. He says, do you want to be well? And the man goes on to list all the excuses and reasons as to why he couldn't be healed. And I believe that I found myself in a very similar place to this man. I could answer the question very easily. Yes, I want to be healed. I want to be better. But anytime I was given an opportunity or a resource to take a hold of, I would lead with all of my excuses and reasons why it wasn't worth doing or reasons why it wouldn't work. My skepticism and my hesitancies were ruling me. And until I realized in that moment that I had such great access to those resources and that there wasn't anything that I could do to fix this by being isolated, that I decided to reach out and seek counseling right here at the Hope Center. As a matter of fact, this room that we're sitting in is a room that I have received counseling sessions a number of times, and it's been so incredible to my mental health to just become vulnerable. I think a lot of people assume that if you start becoming open and honest about the things that you're walking through in your own mind, that it will alienate you. It'll make you uh, feel more alone. It will get you judged by people. And in my experience, I've seen the exact opposite. I remember the first time that I shared with somebody that I was walking through mental health issues. Uh, it was an incredible eye-opening experience that that person and I sat down and they wanted to know more because they had been walking through something similar. And they said exactly what I had heard for most of my life. I would have never imagined that you were going through that. And I realized that being vulnerable and open was one of the things that God wanted me to do in order to remove some of this negative pattern of thinking and the depression that I'd found myself in. It was essentially being asked the question, do you want to be well? And instead of leading with my excuses, instead of responding with all the reasons why I couldn't receive help, I decided to say yes, and I decided to move towards what God wanted to do in my life. And it's been these counseling sessions that have been so integral and so instrumental in me moving back towards positive thinking, putting my hope and trust in who God is and what he has for me. Whether you're dealing with mental health issues or anything that's something that you feel like you could use help with, I'm a firm believer in that everybody can benefit from counseling. And so I hope that you will take that next step and move towards what God wants you to have in your life.